It's time for another episode of the Diary of a Stylish Buxom Beauty podcast, where the focus is on deep and unconventional conversations about loving and accepting yourself and the life you choose to live. Here's your host, the Buxom Beauty. Hello, 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 and welcome to today's show. I realize listening to me is a choice. And as always, I thank you for hitting that play button and choosing to listen to my voice. Today, I have two special guests joining me, my friends, Laurie and James. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Hi James. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have quite a few things in common with both Laurie and James, but today we are discussing a sensitive subject that is very near and dear to the three of us, infants and pregnancy loss. I was driven to do this episode to encourage and stimulate conversations about infant loss to include the male perspective. I learned something from Mr. Rogers as an adult. I've used this quote on quite a few blog posts, and I'm going to repeat it again today. Quote, anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming less upsetting, and less scary, end quote. I believe talking about our hurts helps us heal. So here's my story. In July of 2011, I went into preterm labor and delivered my son, Xavier, at 21 weeks. Xavier was born alive. He lived for a few moments, kicked his leg once, then he died. Fast forward to 2013, I had conceived again, and I went into preterm labor again. I delivered Elijah at 21 weeks. Elijah was born and lived for one hour without any outside assistance. There isn't a day that passes that I don't think about them. Sometimes I cry, and sometimes I smile. Losing them still hurts, but it does get easier to cope each day. So Lori, tell us your story. So in 2014, we were expecting our first child, which we found out was going to be a girl. I'm a big planner. So of course we were designing the nursery and painting and picking out all of the crib furniture and all this type of stuff. Having been my first pregnancy, obviously I didn't really know what to expect, but around 20 around 23 weeks, um, started just having some cramping and things like that. Didn't really think much of it, but the next morning, you know, I started having some bleeding and stuff, went into the hospital and long story short, um, I had started to dilate it. I started preterm labor and they immediately transferred me to a, um, high, uh, NICU type hospital where if my daughter was born, they would be better suited to take care of her. So they they tried everything they could to stop my labor, but uh, a couple days later, at 24 weeks and five days, uh, Olivia was born, born alive, uh, transferred to the high high care NICU, and we really thought we were just going to be there for the long haul. You know, babies at 24 weeks have lived, and we had you know no, we were scared, but we thought that she would be there just for a really long time. Right. The delivery for me was difficult. So I was actually put under full anesthesia and stuff like that. Wasn't conscious when she was born. And then of course, it was 
was on a morphine drip. My husband had to like take the controller away from me because I think I was just pushing it out of <laughs> just pushing it. I kept sleeping and they're like, you have to wake up so you can go see her. On the second day, they came in saying that she had come down with an infection and uh, they were trying antibiotics on her and she wasn't responding to them. And so later that day, you know, it was actually just like probably God's perfect timing. We ended up going down to see her that morning and then all of a sudden all the stuff started happening and they had to work on her. But we were there and they said that they didn't think she was going to make it and they wanted to see if we wanted to hold her. Mm. so we ugh, every time to Wanda. <laughs> I know, I know. um but we were there and we were able to hold her as she passed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah totally not what we expected and right. shattered all the plans and stuff that we had already started preparing for her arrival all mm-hmm. of a sudden things had stopped so it was quite a shock and um coming home without a baby and stuff like that mm-hmm pretty traumatic and yeah so we miss her uh we have come a long way a year later we um had a little girl named emily who was also born premature she was born at 30 weeks and that was after weeks on hospital bed rest um my body just doesn't seem to like to stay pregnant Mm -hmm. um emily was three pounds, six ounces at birth, but she was in the hospital 36 days in the NICU and was able to come home with us and has overall developed beautifully. She had a couple little things at birth that they were watching just to see how she developed. And she's dramatically high energy and, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yes, keeps me busy, even just having the one. So silver lining, having a rainbow baby, but Definitely not the experience that you want anyone to have to go through, losing a baby. Yes, I completely understand. So, James, tell us your story. Whew, my story. Uh, first, thanks for having me, and Lori, thanks for sharing. So, my wife and I uh, moved uh, through life very fast. We met, and within maybe six months, we were pregnant and we had a beautiful son. Then we got married. Uh, then we moved overseas to Bangkok. We bought a house in between all that. So life went very fast in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a as as a man, you know, you go, you know, you you have sex and out pops a baby. It's just almost automatic in, 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 in my mind, I should say in my mind, I shouldn't generalize okay. my mind, have sex, unprotected sex, and then I'll pop the baby. And, uh, our son, his, uh, from, again, from my angle, uh, doctor visits were fine. Everything was perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Child. And, uh, perfect pregnancy. She was in, she wasn't in labor a long time, came out smooth and he's healthy. He's a good kid. So you get those questions. What about number two? Like from family members, from, mm-hmm. you know, especially grandparents. They really want right. a second child. And then he starts to ask, like, I'm an only child. And my wife and I, uh, we're not only children. Uh, so, like, you know, let's let's just do it, right? And then it never could happen. Like, we, we were looking at the schedule, trying to get, plan things right. And uh, 
we started we started getting analyzing my sperm and analyzing her eggs like what is the problem this was like so easy before why can't we do it now mm-hmm. so we tried and tried uh and we just couldn't do it right so we leave thailand and i go to afghanistan and uh before we leave, you know, we uh, get a night at a hotel, romantic evening, and then I go off to Afghanistan. A couple of weeks later, uh, my last name is Barry. My wife calls me and shows a picture of a little strawberry. She said, what is this? It's like, I don't know, a strawberry. She's like, no, it's a little berry. We're pregnant. <laughs> so I'm, I'm half a world away and the happiest man on the planet. Like, you can't mm. stop me. I'm in, like, one of the worst countries in the ro- world, one of the most dangerous countries in the world, on cloud nine. And I didn't tell anybody. I, I was just, like, happy, right? But I just mm. didn't tell anybody. It was just, you know, going through work. And then, uh, so I was traveling away from Kabul. I was in a different city called uh, Bagram. And get a call. I'm sorry, coast. Anyway, the city doesn't matter. Anyway, I get a call in the middle of the night and my wife knows the schedule, right? She knows like we had a schedule set of when I'd be available to call, but she called in the middle of the night and like, I don't know, I just knew something was wrong. And uh, like, I looked at the phone and I was like, what time is this? Three in the morning. And I just answered real quick. Like, hey. And she's like, no heartbeat. And she's crying. And it was just like, you just hit the floor. You're crying in front of strangers, like strangers, like coworkers, but still strangers. You just can't contain yourself. Uh, and yeah, so we, um, I, I flew home. And it's weird because uh, we're, we're at this age where you have access to so much information. So I'm just like researching and hoping that like, this can't be true. And I'm reading all these stories like uh, people being caught saying there was a stillborn, but they didn't look close enough. So I'm like, let's look again. Let's look again. And then, uh, yeah, she showed us again, like there was no movement. It was just still, and uh, the doctors had to go. Uh, Brooke was 13 or 14 weeks, had to go in and pull uh, the baby out, uh, baby girl. Uh, yeah, so, and we, we've we tried since then, haven't gotten to that point again, but uh, it's it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're okay, but still, you know, you think about it, think about it a lot, think about, I mean, gosh, that was 2017, yeah, 2016, so, like, like, in your mind, you're like, I should have two kids, I should have a baby girl and a son, mm-hmm. and they should be, like, we should have had an amazing Christmas, I mean, we still had an amazing Christmas, but that, that, what if that, you know, that control gate of, what if that didn't happen, just still plays on right. You mentioned something while you were while you were telling us your story, and it is a conversation that I've had with both of you about having more children. And both of you expressed to me that your child asked about having another sibling. So my question to you, and first I'll, I'll ask you, James, how do you handle those those difficult questions from your son? Mm. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um... Mostly avoidance for right now, because uh, he's still young enough that he doesn't really uh, pester us about it. But from him, I think we have handled it from him. Like, well, mommy and daddy are still deciding, you know, having a kid is is a tough decision. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll look into it. And 
we got a dog. I don't know if that helps <laughs> <laughs> to have him like some uh, kind of companion. But uh, yeah, it's it's mostly just us. Just I, I don't know. That's a tough one for him. Yeah, uh, that's a hard question. What about you, Lori? How do you handle that with with Emily? So she's five now, and I think it's really been since she's been in preschool and she sees other kids with their siblings and their mommies are pregnant and things like that, that she started mentioning. And she knows about Olivia. We talk about Olivia. Even now during Christmas, she like we she'll see an angel on TV. She's like, like Olivia. And, it you know, mm-hmm. it's super right. cute. And she she'll say things like, oh, I miss her so much. And, you know, she never met her. But mm-hmm. um. I mean, I'm kind of, I try to be as honest as possible with her because for me, having two preterm births, the chance of me carrying another child a full term is not very good. So over the years, like when we were trying, like me and my husband have been talking about it, what seems like forever, what what are we going to do? We would like her to have a sibling. Like, I don't want her to have to carry that burden by herself, um, you know, of, people always talk about, you know, when you're not here any longer to share that, that load with somebody, but I'm, I'm honest with her. I kind of just let her know that mommy's body can't carry another baby. And cause we've kind of already decided that me carrying again is not safe. And then we've looked at all sorts of other options. Surrogacy was my first choice just cause I wanted really badly her to have a biological sibling. Right. Um, but the more and more research I do into that, like just the cost is so astronomically expensive. It's in the United States, it is just out of control. It's like a half the cost of a house or a, a huge down payment on a property just to to um, to have someone else carry your child. And I understand that it's a burden or a, a risk. I wouldn't say a burden, a risk to another woman's body to carry because right. any pregnancy can can be dangerous. But the costs or the the compensation, should I say, that these people are expecting to carry a child on top of the agency fees, on top of the lawyer fees, on top of mm-hmm. the in vitro fertilization, it's like $100,000 or more. And so financially, we're just not in a place that we are willing to spend Emily's college education on, um, on, on a surrogacy. Um, so then we, we talked about adoption um, a little bit. We've talked about fostering, um, mm. but we're Tom. Tom just turned forty-one. I'm thirty-eight. Um, even adoption, like I think I've been told by other adoptive parents that you know we're considered old. I mean, for an adoptive mother who's given up her child, they might look at us in our portfolio and say, "Oh, well, they don't really want to pick us to be the family because the parents are older." So we just haven't gone down the road. I mean, even adoption is at least 50 to grand, fifty to 70 grand. So again, it's the cost of growing your family when it's not a biological child. It's just really, really hard. Fostering could be an amazing thing, but you're also, it's a very big commitment. It's a very big um, emotional roller coaster because these kids are coming in with all sorts of baggage and um, you have to go into it with the mindset that that child, the goal is to get that child home with its family, not to adopt it into your own. So right. it's just hard. So I, I, I tell her, you know, well, I, mommy's body can't carry another baby. Well, how, a, another mommy would have to. So she'll say that sometimes. Oh, it's okay. Another mommy can just carry it for you. I'm like, I don't know. We'll have to see Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I'm lucky that I have some really good girlfriends who have girls. They all have had girls. And so they all are right in this local area. And pre-COVID, we were able to see them a lot more often. And mm-hmm. so I feel like she at least has, you know, that interaction, that support system and stuff. But I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to be at the point that, you know, I don't think that she'll ever get that biological sibling for me. Yeah, it is, it is, it is hard. Because I know for me, you know, both of my sons are deceased and as both of you know the conversation that you and I had Lori it's it enabled me to see that that yearning is still there Mm -hmm. and god willing in August I'll be 45 so that window is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and you know the the fear of losing another child It is, losing a child is a pain that I would not wish on my worst enemy. Mm -mm. It, It just, it hurts and it cuts so deeply. You know, I think about when I was, when I lost my second son, Elijah, and I just had all of this hope and, you know, just to, to see him grow up and, you know, to hold him, to hear him cry. And none of that happened. And I don't want to go through that again. And then thinking about, you know, there are all those, you know, the alternatives, but I want my child. You know, I want that child that will, you know, potentially look like me or look like my dad or, you know, act like my mother. You know, there, there's so many, there's so many things to, to think about. What advice would you give to other parents that are, you know, considering, you know, possibly, you know, trying again? So do you have any advice that you would give, James? To other parents who are thinking about having a baby for the first time? Well, those who have lost Mm. a baby. Well, actually, just in general, you know, just thinking about your question. I think just in general, what what advice would you give to parents? Again, back to an earlier statement I made in that, you know, the, the only view I have of pregnancy is just like the end result. Or, you know, like, oh, someone's pregnant, uh, they must have had sex, and now a baby pops out. It's all, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Carter's pregnancy fueled that even more, because it was very smooth. So my going through this last one, yeah, I, I, would, I would just be cautious, right? I, mm-hmm. I guess is the best word. Yeah, just prayer. Prayer helps, mm-hmm. absolutely, mm-hmm. Uh, depending on your faith. Yeah. I don't want to say lower your expectations because that's just such a bad term when it comes to something like this. But and I, I would talk to people to talk to like be vocal about it. Right. Because mm-hmm. one one thing and, and I apologize, I'm going off a tangent here. But one okay. thing I noticed is that once we went through our experiences is how many other people have went through their experience when you once you started talking to people. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and even uh, my wife found out that her grandmother actually had uh, a miscarriage. So so like like opening up that aperture and uh, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and and being able to uh, bear your soul to people, uh, right. I, I think helps because it, it 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 helped me get through hard time. But any advice is just uh, just put your faith in whatever God that you believe in and. Be a loving husband for the guys out there. Be a loving husband and be very supportive. What I've learned is that women go through, I mean, 
women just go through so many things that we don't think about when they're going through a pregnancy. So being a supportive husband and doing anything and everything to help your spouse or your partner is, is just the world to them while they're going through all the changes that their body goes through. So that's advice. So is there, is there anything specific that you, that you feel comfortable sharing with us that you, that you would, you highlight that, you know, you didn't really think about prior to your experience that your wife went through? I'm trying to think about uh, the the stuff that I was uh, not good at. (laughs) Yeah. um, One thing that set home with me is uh, she was just like, I just feel like all my organs are squished and I just can't do it. Like, and she, uh, it's, it's, I'm using my words now. It was like a parasite was invaded in her body, but it was still like part of us. You you know what I mean? And I, I, I was not, empathetic or sympathetic to her I was just like yeah let's just have the baby look like it's just a baby you, you know I, I wasn't I wasn't really in tune to the changes her body was going through and as the pregnancy went on I got better at that and got better and when the baby arrived I was uh, very helpful because there's a lot of postpartum that uh, us I think as general being general again us as men don't realize uh, their body still is not the same as before sometimes and mm-hmm. um they, yeah it's just a lot of changes that we aren't in, in tune to it's it's like have baby and you know we're we're very uh systematic i guess is the right word it was just okay have the baby pop it out go back to work you know, like what's mm-hmm. the deal right we we have to be more understanding to what they go through even though we can't ever go through that we have to as best we can put ourselves in those shoes. So Lori, from your perspective, like what advice would you give to parents? Of course, going into my second, having lost my first, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But you go into it and at first, I you don't really want to tell anyone because you're scared mm-hmm. that, right. you know, right. something awful is going to happen. But at the same time, like, I think surrounding yourself with such a support system, people who know know you and know what you've been through, that if something did happen, they would rally around you to to keep you afloat type of thing is super important. I think that, you know, having having lost a child, I like James researched the crap out of everything, you know, what could have caused you know, what could have caused it or whatever, but just be, be your own advocate. Don't just always take the, um, doctor's word for things. Cause a lot of times, well, a couple of times with my second pregnancy, they kind of brushed my first loss off as a fluke. Like, Oh, it was probably just a one-time thing. Mm. And I had to really kind of be in tune with my, my body. And when something didn't seem right, I wanted to be the first one to raise my hand to say, double check check it again because I had been through something and I didn't want to do it again. And I'm glad I did. Cause again, Emily was a preemie also. And right. if I hadn't, I might not have gone into the hospital bed rest situation. She could have come earlier, but um, I don't know. I mean, you, I think after you lose a child, you become very much more aware of the risk. So that's just right. something that you're always going to have in the back of your mind. But again, that makes you a better advocate for yourself if, if something does go wrong, but I mean, the end result is a beautiful child. Um, we have my beautiful daughter and um, 
But having been through it twice, it's funny because I'm I'm here saying I wouldn't do it again. But mm-hmm. no, but I understand. I understand. Last season on the podcast, I talked about the strong black woman label, which is the idea that black women are strong enough to handle everything that comes our way. And I believe, like a lot of others, that this idea leaves a lot of women alone to carry their burdens and heal from their wounds. But I also think there is an expectation placed on men. Men are not supposed to express emotion, especially fear, and you are not to cry. So James, you and I have had quite a few conversations about the pain and devastation of losing a baby. I don't claim to be an expert on the existence of the support groups or forums for fathers who have lost children, but I'm wondering if if you feel that there is enough support available for grieving fathers. Man, being a man is so weird. And I say that like, I'm so happy to be a man, but at the same time, we're just a weird species. <laughs> and, uh, we, 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 we like, we're just expected to, like you said, just handle things and just, mm-hmm. you know, go with the flow. I, I do not, to answer your question, I do not think there's enough a support system just because of how we are like pre-wired and, and quick story uh, about crying. Like I told you when I first learned, I was just crying in front of everybody. And, and, and my boss at the time was just like, go home. And, and like, so number one, he experienced loss. He, he, he like, like after, like he called me into the office and it was just like, you are going to go home uh, and you are going to, and uh, so the, the, uh, it happened like right early, de- like mid December. Right. And I, I was not planning to go home for Christmas. And he was like, you're going to go home. You're going to go spend time with your family. And I don't want to hear from you until the new year is basically what he said. And then he let me know that he adopted and the struggles that he and his wife had, had been through. So, and, and I was crying in front of him. So I, we go home, uh, they do the procedure and I am like, you know, I just need to do normal stuff. So, you know, I played golf. I think my, my school was having a football game. So it was bowl season down in Atlanta and everyone's going. And I went to Brooklyn, like, this is what we need. Let's just go to the game and act like everything is normal. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I have no desire to go, but you can go if you want, if that's what you need. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the game, have fun, drink some beers, hang out with people and it'll all be fine. So I go down there. We're at a, a, a party before the uh, game, the night before the game is in Atlanta. And I'm playing cards with uh, a couple friends. And then her best friend, my wife's best friend, walks into the to the party. Like I'm literally playing cards and we like locked eyes. And she just gave me a are you okay look. I dropped all the cards and went into the room and started crying. And then other people started coming into the room. Like, and I, I guess they know. And one of our friends was just like, yeah, uh, before we had BJ, I lost two children. So, so it's, it's all like, I guess uh, what Lori said earlier, that support system and being like open to like bear your soul, like what I said earlier, like bear your soul to people mm-hmm. and uh, like share. Uh, so from that aspect, I think, but like from our formal, like 
yeah, we, we're just built different. We're just supposed to just, you know, go take it and be all right with it. But yeah. It's part of society, I think. The way yeah. that men are raised, you're not supposed to show a lot of emotion, but mm-hmm. someone of you experience the same. It's You're going through the same experience. You're just not expected to talk about it with your friends. Right. <laughs> right. And, 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 and I talked to my wife a little bit about this and, and, and some of it is kind of like, I don't want to say embarrassment, but it's like, uh, and I don't want to speak for women. It's like, you're supposed to conceive and hold and bear a child and output children. Yeah. You know, that, that that societal thing, right. Is that that's what you are expected to do as women. And when it yeah. doesn't happen, it it's like, I don't know. Failure is not the right yeah. word. Actually it is because that is exactly how, that's exactly how I felt. I mm-hmm. felt like a failure because, you know, I felt like, I kind of, not kind of, but I, I related myself to Hannah in the Old Testament. It's women's lot in life to bear children. And I was unable to do that. Mm. So I felt like I failed as a woman. So what you're saying aligns exactly with how how I felt. Mm. Yeah. So then people don't share it and, 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 and you don't mm. know. You don't mm. know. Like in my, my parents, when, when we lost, like my mom shared with me, like they, we could, we were trying so bad to have you James. And it was just never working. Like mm. she always calls me a miracle baby because I somehow got, I was somehow conceived, but yeah, it's just like, no one talks about it. We just, right. all right, that didn't work. We'll just try. Yeah. And again, I think with society, it makes people uncomfortable, especially people who've never experienced it themselves, I guess. Cause mm-hmm. I get the question a lot. Oh, you're going to have more children from even strangers, not necessarily from Emily. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm quite honest. And I think mm-hmm. it puts people off. Like they're like, Oh God, I'll just say, Oh, you know, I've, I actually lost one before my, my five-year-old and my body just doesn't like being pregnant. So I'm, I don't think we're going to have any more. And they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like then they feel like devastated and they like puts them in a very uncomfortable position. And I just hate that that is the response I guess in society, people are all like, it makes them uncomfortable. But yeah, people think it's such an innocent question. And I've been guilty of it before we've gone through what we've gone through. Because again, you think conceive, get pregnant, have baby. It's just automatic. And rarely do things go wrong. But the the honest truth is it's all right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like people that that question is like, when are you going to give Carter a playmate? It's and uh, well, uh, we've been trying, and we actually lost uh, a baby. Oh, sorry, I didn't know. I was like, it's okay. But yeah, like, and I, and I want them to be like to tell them it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to talk about it, like I said, it doesn't right. upset me to talk about Olivia. Obviously, I get choked up telling my story a little bit, but mm-hmm. like you said, what was Mister Rogers' quote? Everything has if life has meaning. I forget what it was. <laughs> I mean, I like talking about her because she existed. I mean, mm-hmm. your daughter existed, James. Your babies existed, Tawanda. So, right. talking about them has them living on through us. It's not like they didn't exist at all. So, right. you know, I I don't want. I wish there was a way to change that taboo, a taboo to make it less of an uncomfortable situation. Like, obviously, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but, you know, what are, how do you train people to ask other questions? Uh, you know, something like, oh, well, what was your child's name? Or, 
some because people are just want to say, "Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss." Right, it's like, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Because this is an automatic question. Because yeah. you know, I've gotten it quite a few times. You know, when I go to a new office, and they're like, "Oh, do you have any kids?" You know, it's like, "Well, actually, I lost two kids when I was married." You're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." <laughs> and then you know, you're not really sure how how they're receiving it. You know, that they feel like I'm oversharing, and you know, I don't. I don't mind talking about it because like you said, is what I've experienced and what I've learned, like even with the friendships that I have with the two of you, you know, the fact that I went through it. So I was able to talk to the two of you, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we, we encourage one another, you know, with our, with our experiences, you know, and, you know, like scripture tells us they, they overcome by their testimony. So if you don't talk about what you've experienced, you don't, you don't heal from it, number one, but in the long run, you can help someone else by sharing your story. And you're speaking your truth. It's not oversharing. You're speaking your truth because if somebody asks you that question, you say, no, I don't have any kids. That's not, that's not true. It's not. So. So how did you come to terms with losing Olivia? I don't know. I've come to terms. Like it's one of those things that you, I don't, didn't have control. It was Mm -hmm. out of my control, leaning on my faith that she's in heaven. She's watching over us. I don't know. It's like almost like I know she's not here, but I still feel like she's part of my family. Mm -hmm. People always say, well, now you're going to figure out your new normal because it changes you. You know what I mean? Losing a child changes you and you now have to live a new normal. You can't just go back into what life was before. Um, it just looks a little bit different. Your viewpoint is a little bit different. Um, we always talk about the grieving. Well, I've shared this with you, the grieving process and how heavy it is at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then as you talk about it, as you grieve, as you, you know, they always say time heals everything, but the, every day you feel like that weight's a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter, but there's always going to be like that little stone in your pocket that you you always feel it. You always are going to carry it with you, but it's manageable. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think having, having Emily for me keeps me occupied. Um, I'm sure that's obviously you have that yearning to one. And I think that mm-hmm. that is very differing parts of our experience of loss. Like you have that yearning to still have another child where I have somebody who I'm surprised hasn't barged through my door yet at this point. (laughs) 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 Um, Right downstairs who is so high energy. And I think God gave me one like that for a reason because she, she's a beautiful child, but she requires a lot of attention and things like that. So I think that she Mm -hmm. fills up my life. And even if I'm never able to give her that, that sibling, that, I want her to have, you know, I think, I think we're a good family unit and you just kind of, again, settle into that new normal um, and don't force expectations on yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of be present in the moment of where you are. And yeah. Okay. What about you, Jane? Well, that was a wonderful answer. Can I just say same? <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> No, I I think she touched on a a lot of things that I would have said. Um, I I don't I don't know that you ever get over the loss. You know, and right. you always think about it. Um, but uh, I'm a big proponent of everything happens for a reason. And mm-hmm. like I hate it. Sometimes my wife hates when I say this, but 
always say it was supposed to happen this way. So especially like another short story, even the way we met, we were both, uh, we went to the same college at the same time, but we did not know each other. And that because I was very immature at the time. Like, if you, if you think I'm immature now, I was even more so back in <laughs> Like, like complete idiot. Uh, I wish I could go talk to myself, but I did not. We had the same circle of friends, but we did not actually meet each other until later, like till I was around 29, 30, when I was more mature. I was like, it was supposed to happen that way because if mm-hmm. I would have met you in college, we probably wouldn't be here right now. So mm-hmm. it was supposed to happen that way. So I'm very pro like the the, the journey that's, uh, life takes you on is for a reason, right? Um, so if it's in our cards to try again or, or, or have another child, it, it will happen. Otherwise, uh, same, I got an eight-year-old who's, I'm surprised has not shot down this door with his new uh, Nerf gun. <laughs> Bars in here. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, not over it, but I'm just incredibly thankful for what I do have. Although Carter is not a replacement for our daughter that we lost, it's just just being thankful and just moving on through life in a positive way. Wonderful. So final thoughts. What words of encouragement do you have for parents who have experienced infant or pregnancy loss? I just say through this conversation and through when you lose a child, you're part of a huge community. Um, Mm -hmm. So much more than you, I think you realize. So don't feel scared or ashamed to reach out for support or talk about it because you wouldn't believe how many people in your circle or your community have experienced something similar um, Mm -hmm. and want to be there for you um, any way they can. I mean, having lost a child I've had since I've had, um, you know, I've known other moms who've lost a child and having been in that community myself, you know, you, you sympathize differently than anybody else can. And you want to be there as best you can for other moms. So, or dads. So, yeah, I just say, you know, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thanks. So as a man myself, I am, uh, I am like, I have this sense of protection, right? The sense of protecting mm-hmm. your family, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like if someone busts in the house, it's my responsibility to go see what that danger is. I sleep right. on the door side of the bed. So if dude comes in, he, he has to deal with me before he gets to my wife, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like you have that sense of protection. This situation is something that you can't, you just can't do anything about as mm-hmm. uh as the protector of your household, like you, there's, there, there's nothing you can do like physically or, or there, there's no, there's no, there's no action that you can take to protect your family. Uh, but I think uh, what Lori said, having a good support system, not being afraid to talk about it. Uh, like I said earlier, bearing your soul to people and understanding that it's not an anomaly. Like it, it, it happens at, more often than you think it does. And right. it's probably happened to somebody that you know and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. So being able, being willing to bury your soul to somebody and, and get things off your chest and don't hold it in. Because that I think that's what I did, that uh, I held it in. And then when I started talking to people, 
and realizing more people have went through it from, especially from a male perspective, it was, it, it helped my healing. I, I, mm-hmm. Again, like, like we both said, all three of us actually, I don't think we'll ever get over it, but being able to talk about it makes it more comfortable and maybe it'll help others. Right, right. Awesome. So Lori and James, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for sharing your stories. It is my prayer that this conversation will enable someone to find hope, encouragement, strength, and overall healing. That's all for today's episode. Until the next time, I wish you peace and most of all, love. Thanks for listening to the Diary of a Stylish Buxom Beauty podcast. Be sure to show your support by subscribing on your favorite listening platform and join in the conversation on IG by following at stylish underscore buxom underscore beauty underscore podcast.